Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Andrea Brennan and I am a managing associate in the Simmons & Simmons Dispute Resolution Team based in Dublin. I am delighted to welcome you to this podcast on limited waiver agreements in Ireland, what you need to know. I am joined by my colleagues, Derek Lawler, a partner in our regulatory team here in Dublin, and Colin Passmore, the author of the renowned textbook, Passmore on Privilege. Colin is also a client development partner here in Simmons & Simmons after recently stepping down as our global senior partner, a position he held for 10 years. Um, so before we launch right in, I think it would be useful, Colin, if you could give us a short explanation on what limited waiver agreements are, why they are used and in what context. Thank you, Andrea. Um, in short, um, a limited waiver agreement is, is a process by which a client, the owner of the privilege, can share uh, uh, that uh, its privileged materials with another person, another entity, but on terms whereby that sharing doesn't lead to any wider loss of privilege over the material concerns. Now, this is a recognised way of sharing privileged materials safely under English law, and I think it's also recognised that you can do this under Irish law, where they're often known as FIFS agreements after uh, a Supreme Court decision uh, of about 10 years ago. Um, the, the benefit of these agreements is that it sometimes enables a client to show another party, uh, sometimes a regulator, that the content of privileged uh, material shared in this way. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing nefarious in it. There's nothing uh, detrimental in it. And, and by sharing privileged material in this way pursuant to an agreement, it uh, uh, and the purposes of that agreement also being spelt out um, in the terms upon which it's done, it means that if, for example, that material is relevant to any other matter, any other civil proceedings, for example, the fact that it's been shared under a limited waiver agreement doesn't mean that the privilege has been lost as, as against uh, the rest of the world, including, for example, in those other civil proceedings. Thank you, Colin. That That is a really helpful um, description and explanation. And interestingly, yes, they are they are actually recognised in Ireland and limited waiver agreements have become such an important and integral part of the regulatory environment in Ireland that the central bank is actually seeking to give a statutory footing to such agreements. So as part of the general scheme of the central bank individual accountability framework bill 2021, it is proposed to put such agreements on a statutory footing under Head 33. This is the same draft legislation for the implementation of the new Senior Executive Accountability Regime, or SEER as it's known. So the proposed new section is to be inserted into the Central Bank Supervision and Enforcement Act 2013 as a new Section 33A. Um, turning to you, Derek, many of your clients may be listening into this podcast and wondering how applicable how applicable privilege and limited waiver agreements are for them. What would you say to those clients? Thanks, Andrea. Well, yes, with, we, we expect the new individual accountability framework to be in place in around January of uh, 2023. So you can expect that there will be some sort of heightened level of engagement with the central bank because they have said that their supervision will become more intrusive. Um, and so under that new framework that's coming out, on the one hand, it does seek to incentivize positive behaviors and to, 
to promote improved governance and culture within the firms. But then on the other hand, it does strengthen the central bank's enforcement toolkit, uh, particularly with respect to individuals. So I think as we will see more enforcement and more intrusive supervision, uh, it's an area that's just going to become more and more important. And I suppose with that, Derek, you know, with any scrutiny and any investigation, the issue of privilege privilege will almost always arise and there will be the possible disclosure of privilege documents under a limited waiver agreement, you know, suggested as as a way of, of disclosing these to the CBI. And I suppose, however, with any risks um, that are involved in entering such agreements, regulated entities need to carefully consider those risks before reaching a decision on whether or not to enter into such an agreement. And I think Colin is going to chat a little bit more about those risks. Um, and I suppose the way it, it, it kind of raises is that under this new Section 33A, and, and even before it's enacted, you know, once you disclose any legally privileged information to the CBI, um, these are subject to the same disclosure requirements um, pursuant to Section 33AK of the Central Bank Act 1942. So these gateway provisions. So once any of these documents are disclosed to the CBI, that places those documents at risk of further disclosure to a number of other bodies or entities, including um, but not limited to other foreign regulated entities or regulators, sorry, the Revenue Commissioners and the Garda Síochána. So, I mean, there is um, a potential further pool that these documents will be disclosed to. And Colin, you were involved in the recent PCP case, which really demonstrates the risks of limited waiver agreements and the possibility of far-reaching consequences. So could you just talk us through a little bit of what happened in the PCP case? Yes, of course. Uh, and just before I do that, I just want to emphasise a point, Andrea, which um, you've just been making, and that is that whilst limited waiver agreements are recognised by English and Irish courts, they're not something to be entered into lightly because no matter how well drafted and how focused and how limited the purpose of the waiver is, the fact of the matter is once you give privileged material over to another party, you have in a sense lost control and there's always a risk that something can go wrong. And as you've said, the issue with giving uh, a limited waiver to a regulator, uh, and we've seen this uh, in, in England, we've seen this in cases before the English courts, is that regulators in, in, in England will not accept too many uh, restrictions on the use to which they can put the privileged material that is made available under the limited waiver agreement. Uh, and this is what and this is what has happened in in the PCP case, PCP against Barclays, a decision uh, of the English High Court in June 2020. Um, Barclays made a limited waiver uh, of privileged materials to the Serious Fraud Office, the the primary criminal um, justice investigation body for serious fraud. Um, and they did so on terms that recognised inevitably that the SFO would be likely to use these privileged materials in, uh, in their investigations and, and in any subsequent prosecutions that might uh, follow from, from those investigations. And this is precisely what happened. The SFO um, commenced prosecutions against four uh, Barclays executives and in the course of the, uh, the criminal trials, some of the material, the subject of the limited waiver agreement, was uh, first disclosed to the defendants to these uh, prosecutions, and then some of it was used in open court. Now, 
related civil proceedings had started uh, against Barclays by uh, by PCP. Um, and uh, inevitably, um, Barclays used some of the um, uh, privileged materials that had been used in open court um, in the criminal prosecution. But having having done so, that opened up an argument that Barclays had thereby waived privilege. And the point here was that, um, as it was put to the English court, well, well, how could Barclays have waived privilege? Because this material had already been used in, in criminal proceedings and already been used in open court. And in the civil proceedings, the High Court said, well, it was Barclays' decision to make the limited waiver in the first place that set in train the course of events that led uh, to the use of this material in open court in the criminal proceedings. Uh, and therefore, Barclays had waived again by using this same material in the civil proceedings. And having done so, that then opened up. Uh, a disclosure application for additional privileged material to be disclosed to PCP under the collateral waiver principles. So this case shows very clearly that if you undertake a limited waiver to a regulator, the regulator will either not accept restrictions on use or, or has to make clear that they have gateway onward use provisions. So you may even find your privileged material is shared, for example, with regulators in America. You can't stop that. And then when the material is in the hands of these other regulators, it may mean that the whole process of law, particularly in criminal prosecutions, means that, that this material ends up in the hands uh, of defendants to criminal prosecutions and then is used in open court. So in that way, uh, you, you do ultimately lose your privilege as against everybody. Yeah, that is really interesting and frightening in equal measure. Um, and I think, you know, the same risks apply here as, as they did in England in the PCP case. Um, I mean, Derek, do you think based on the PCP case and, and what has flow, flown from that, is that likely to result in increased resistance to limited wa waiver agreements? Um, well, I think there is a balancing act in that. So any entity would have to assess the contents of, of the documents that they're looking at. But at the same time, <clears throat> your relationship with the central bank as with any regulator will continue after that investigation and it's it's important that that relationship be as cooperative um, and as open as possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that is important. I suppose another angle to come at it is, you know, there is this little used but potentially very useful alternative solution to limited waiver agreements and myself and Colin have discussed it before which is the section 33 of the 2013 act so this actually enables the CBI to apply to the high court to determine whether or not documents continue to enjoy legal professional privilege um, and um, Colin can maybe chat to the fact that this isn't something that is in English law but could be quite useful I think. Um, yeah, I think this is a really interesting provision. We, the only thing we've got remotely like it in England is a similar sort of provision in relation to disputes with um, our tax authorities. Uh, and this does get used, but it, it isn't a provision. Uh, we, we haven't got an equivalent provision in relation to disputes between financial services regulators. Now, I think the interesting thing about this is this this is not a mechanism for a limited waiver, 
but it is a mechanism uh, if it's used and, and I understand that it's only the CBI that can initiate the use of this mechanism. It is a, it is a means of flushing out uh, any concerns or suspicions that the regulated entity is wrongly claiming privilege, um, perhaps because there's been a waiver, perhaps because the claim to privilege is wrongly made, or even, heaven forbid, in a worst case scenario, that the crime fraud exception uh, kicks in. So it, it's not a mechanism for limited waiver. That's still something that I think has to be thought about separately, but it is a means of flushing out any concerns that there might exist. Uh, as to whether the claims to privilege are properly made. And I think in that respect, um, Andrew, you and I have discussed in, our, in our other meetings, there's no reason why the regulated entity, whilst it, it, it itself can't make the application, can persuade, try to persuade the CBI to do so, because it looks uh, like a really good swift uh, mechanism for mm. getting some of these suspicions ironed out. Yeah, and I think I know it, it is very different in, in many ways to a limited waiver agreement, but I suppose the way I, I suggested some alternative solution is because limited waiver agreements are often suggested, as you say, when there is a dispute over whether privilege is being properly claimed or whether yeah. it's been lost. And if that is the reason it's being suggested, you do have this alternative yeah. that you can suggest to the CBI. And like you say, you can maximise the efficiency of such an application by you know, suggesting that you agree a timetable in advance for the exchange of affidavits and legal yep. submissions. And yep. there's also the ability to look to apply to have an independent person who has suitable legal qualifications to examine the information, prepare a report to the court, and that's permitted under Section 33.5. And that report, in many cases, will often potentially lead to parties not even pursuing it to, to full hearing of the motion and may agree yeah. to follow the report of, of of that party, particularly now with COVID and with the backlog that there is in, in the courts, this could be actually done in a really quick and efficient way. And, yeah. you know, you could potentially lose your privilege, but I suppose, as you would say, Colin, if you've pro improperly claimed it and this report says it's not privileged, you haven't, you never had it in the first place to lose. So it's, it's not, it's that, that's the only downside is, if you don't have privilege, it is it is lost. But then again, you have the option of if the report says we believe this is not privileged, you could say, well, look, we don't necessarily agree with the the report. Um, but rather than going and incurring more costs, what we're willing to do at this stage is actually do a limited waiver because if we're if we're right and there is the privilege, we want to protect that right as against third parties as best we can. So it is, it is quite a useful, I think, mechanism that is under underused at the moment in Ireland. Um, but I suppose the other thing I, I was going to mention is um, in the Law Society of the England and Wales, they've they've mounted what we've kind of described as a fight back against what it perceived to be an erosion of the protection confirmed um, conferred by legal professional privilege, um, and a strongly worded practice note has been issued. And I was wondering, Colin, could you just give a little bit of background as to how this practice note came about and what it says? Yes, in in. Uh, particularly the period 2015 to 2017, we had a number of senior regulators, the head of the SFO, uh, others at the FCA, um, who made a number of speeches which were interpreted as indicating that too many suspects, uh, too many regulated entities uh, were wrongly using privilege as a, as a means to avoid proper and full investigation. And it began 
to be believed that to claim privilege or to rely on privilege um, was somehow the doing of the lawyers uh, and not the clients and, and somehow uh, was being used uh, as a sign of non-cooperation uh, with investigators. And uh, the Law Society was approached by uh, a number of lawyers, external and internal, uh, um, expressing concerns about this. And the result was a practice note, which um, is still available and has uh, have recently been updated and is a full justification of the importance and uh, the importance of privilege and why we rely on it and of its sacrosanct nature and the fact that the English and Irish law is clear that you cannot draw adverse inferences uh, from uh, proper reliance on it. Now, the pressures that led to this note have largely uh, receded, um, but the practice note is still available on the uh, Law Society of England and Wales website, and it's, it's mm. slightly morphed into uh, a very good summary of the main principles of legal professional privilege, but it in but it still contains within it uh, a strong message that it is important that lawyers think about uh, privilege, its importance, uh, and that it is their client's right to assert it where it is properly claimed. Of course, it has to be properly claimed. We all accept that. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think you, as you've mentioned, it, it is a really helpful um, summary, albeit of English law, but a lot of which is, is quite applicable in Ireland, and it is available to anyone to download. You simply actually have to go in and um, put in your email address. So in the article that accompanies this uh, link to this podcast, if you click into that article, there will be a link to the Law Society practice note, and you can download it by simply providing your email address. And I do recommend anyone listening to do that because I find it's very, very helpful. Um, but I going to, we're running out of time, so I just want to thank everyone for listening to this podcast, which hopefully you found very useful. Uh, please do download the article on limited waiver agreements and do please get in touch with myself, Derek or Colin if you have any further questions on any aspect of privilege or limited waiver agreements. Thank you. Thank you.